folks, welcome to the first ever Machine Repeat podcast. Uh, I'm really excited about this new endeavor. Um, I think it uh, will be a fun journey. And I need to start off by just uh, saying a big thank you uh, to all you folks out there for, geez, almost 30 years now of uh, connecting with this Machine Repeat content that I've been putting out um, across all the different mediums. And uh, believe me when I say, when I, when I started compiling auction prices in November of 1989, I had no idea where, where any of this was going to go. Um, I was just listening to my father, Jerry Peterson, a John Deere dealer in my hometown of Benson, Minnesota. And dad said, you know, Greg, I think this auction sale price data is very interesting. I think it's really good information. I know it can help dealers, farmers, and ag lenders. You're 23 years old. Um, I don't know what this can be, but I know it's something. And I'm eternally grateful that I somehow had the sense to listen to my father and lean in and just uh, know that it was going to be a journey. Um, And again, it'll be 30 years in November now that I've been doing it. And I need to also thank um, good teachers, uh, Benson High School. where my, I'm thinking of my speech teacher, Mr. Kittleson. Uh, now, little secret here, folks. Machine Repeat, young Greg, was about the shyest guy in the world. I was really stuck in, a, in my shell. A lot to say, but just didn't really know how to say it. But Mr. Kittleson helped us, and I remember giving speeches in high school and uh, being uncomfortable doing it, but uh, that helped. And then also in high school, Mrs. Quinn, a journalism professor, who approached me and said, Greg, I think... Why don't you uh, help us out and write some sports stories for the weekly paper? And I had no training as a journalist, but uh, knowing that Mrs. Quinn believed in me, I did it. And I started to dip my toe that way. And it's been fun at my years at Gustavus Adolphus College, again, liberal arts education, doing a lot of writing, doing a lot of speaking, really helped. Um, So I set sail 30 years ago uh, in the first content that I started putting out was, of course, my uh, monthly column in National Farm Magazines. I started in 1992. And again, thank you folks for reading all these years. We've, you know, hope the auction price data we put out can be interesting and good, you know, useful for your own business, obviously. Um, and then in terms of the content, I, I just, I didn't know where it was going to go, but I just had this feeling in my gut that people were reacting to it and wanted more. So as time went by, uh, I, I was trying to stumble my way into new ways of getting more of this content out. And of course, TV was next. 2007, I started with The Machinery Show. I did seven seasons as part of that show. We had a great time. Uh, and then that morphed into our own Machinery Repeat TV show. It started uh, fall of 13 uh, through six seasons now again. Thank you so much for watching, folks. It's been a ball. Uh, but the other content, again, what was motiva- motivating me all these years was it felt to me like people just wanted more. And when social media came along, basically 10 years ago, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, I started to lean into that and just put out more content. And again, hopefully you enjoyed it. It's been helpful to you. But now here we are, um, 2019 and this podcast. So what's this going to be? Pete, what's this podcast going to be, this weekly thing? What can I expect? Well, you know, I guess where I want to go with this 
is on the theme of listening. Because I think the society we live in today, uh, right or wrong, it's just so freaking short-term focused. I mean, it's like our attention spans are 30 seconds long. And, you know, a lot of the things in the world today need a little deeper conversation. And frankly, one of the things I love most about still going out to auctions or farm shows, you're forced to talk to people in person and listen. And I just think in our day and age that there's, it's so desperately needed. Um, and there's so much we can learn from just listening to each other. And the whole listening thing, again, I think because I was a painfully shy kid, uh, I, it's, it sounds funny to say, but the core of building this machine repeat business I've built for 30 years now, it's just listening, listening to you. Uh, you know, tell me, tell me about your tractor. Tell me about uh, what you're looking for. Uh, and let's just talk. And so with this podcast, what I want to do each week is bring you a wide variety of different folks across the ag spectrum, uh, rural America. I mean, I grew up in Benson, Minnesota, population 3,200. And as I travel the country now and up into Canada doing our machine repeat things, uh, you know, we're in rural America. And I just want to bring you some interesting guests and we'll have a little bit longer conversation and talk about things. And hopefully there'll be things that we all can learn and take away and hopefully be better for. Now, our very first guest on this first Machinery Repeat podcast, I thought, geez, I got to find somebody special for this. And I believe we found it. And it's John Sullivan, the new director of Illinois Department of Agriculture. Now, I hear that name Sullivan, and you might think, hmm, Sullivan. Sullivan Auctioneers? Well, yep. John is one of the brothers that was involved in that business. But now, John, fascinating backstory. Uh, from 2003 to 2017, John was an Illinois state senator. And even more interesting, I believe he was from District 47 in West, West Central Illinois, which is a heavily conservative, very Republican district. Now, John was a Democrat, and yet he served 14 years in the Senate and then hopped back into the auction business for a few years. And now with the new governor-elect there, the reached out to John, and now he's taken on this task, being the director of Illinois Department of Agriculture. So there is a ton on John's plate, things he needs to work through, huge issues to help the state of, great state of Illinois there. So a couple of the issues I really wanted to talk to John about, uh, one was in his new job, uh, going about the issue of increasing access to high-speed rural broadband internet access. Now, John has intimate uh, history and knowledge with Sullivan Auctioneer's business of the importance of high-speed internet in rural areas and how that can unlock the massive amount of creativity in rural America with new ideas, new and better ways to do things. But it has to be based on having high-speed internet. So now we can say that, but it's all about logistics. Roll up your sleeves. How's this going to work? How are you going to do it? Well, rolling up your sleeves and getting to work, that's that's what the Sullivan brothers are all about, and John, no different. So fascinating to talk to John about that, and also the, the issue of legalized industrial hemp. Now, John, as the new <laughs> director of Illinois Department of Ag, was charged this year, just took the gig, uh, like in December, uh, with, in short order, writing all the rules and regs 
so that folks in Illinois, and by the way, tremendous interest in getting this new crop in the ground, but it has to be all legal. And John's spearheading that effort. So fascinating um, to get into that. And then again, also just talking to John about, you know, how do you reach across the aisle and work with the other side? And is there hope? Um, so I was really interested to talk to John about that. So here's our conversation. Again, the first ever Machine Repeat podcast with our guest, John Sullivan. All right, folks, I'd like to welcome our guest, our first ever guest on the Machine Repeat podcast, John Sullivan, the new director of Illinois Department of Agriculture. John, thank you for, for joining us. Well, you're welcome, Greg. It's uh, certainly a, a privilege and an honor for me to visit with you uh, on your uh, one of your first uh, podcast programs. So thank you for that opportunity. Well, thank you for joining. I know you're super busy there, John. Uh, now, I saw the announcement back uh, right at the end of 18 that, that you had been named the director of Illinois Department of Agriculture. And, of course, folks, I knew John from uh, his great tenure with Sullivan Auctioneers, the auction company we all love out of Hamilton, Illinois there. Walk me through how that happened, John, that you, uh, you know, became the director of Illinois Department of Ag. Well, that's uh, so during the last year, during the of course, the election process that was going on here in the state of Illinois, as, as it was in many other states, uh, I'd say about kind of midway through the summer, the campaign was, you know, pretty heated and, and getting going pretty fairly uh, active. And I started having a few people approach me from the ag community saying things, you know, boy, John, if, uh, you know, if, if uh, Pritzker wins the election, you'd make a great director of ag. And, and, I, and my response was, all right, listen, I... I'm very happy where I am right now. I, of course, spent, as you know, Greg, spent 14 years as a state senator here in Illinois and mm-hmm. representing about 13 counties over west central Illinois. And, and uh, so I had certainly had my experience of being involved in government and politics. And, and back in 2016, I decided not to run for re-election and went back and joined the family auction business, as you mentioned. And of course, when I went back, my uh, not just my brothers were there, but two of my sons and daughter-in-law and some other family members were there as well. So I was very happy uh, back in the auction business. And uh, but then the election came, and and uh, uh, J.B. Pritzker won the election for governor, and and so then the calls really started coming in to to me about uh, asking if I would be interested. And and ultimately, I got a call from the governor's folks, and I had an interview with them. They asked me to come up and visit with them, which I did. And then I got a call from the governor and uh, the governor-elect, I guess, at that point in time. And uh, he and I sat down for almost, well, for over two hours and really had a, an interesting discussion about uh, the future of agriculture here in Illinois. And ultimately, he asked me if I would do it. And I, I thought, you know, you don't get that opportunity very often. And I hope, hopefully we can make a difference uh, in this role as the director of the department, and so I made the decision to uh, to accept the position. That's exciting, John. Uh, now let's uh, let's wind this back a little bit. Uh, you were in the Illinois Senate uh, for was it fourteen years? Uh, Two thousand three is that when you were first elected? Yes, I was elected in 02, so sworn into office in January of two thousand and three. Yes. Okay, and you were from was it uh, the forty seventh district there in West Central Illinois? Yep, that's correct. Uh, there's about 13, all are part of 13 counties in West Central Illinois, basically from Galesburg on the north to uh, Old Peoria along, or excuse me, not Peoria, but Beardstown on the Illinois, Havana and Beardstown on the Illinois River, and then 
uh, on over to Quincy on the Mississippi River. So it was actually uh, and still is the largest Senate district in the state of Illinois. It's, uh, of course, it's based, districts are based on population and and uh, because that's a very rural part of the state, uh, and you know, population numbers aren't what you see in a larger you know communities, obviously. So um, that's why it was the largest Senate district in the state of Illinois. And so you were kind of mid forty range or something, John, when you when you ran for office first time. Yeah, that's correct. Uh-huh. And, and so I had, uh, well, as you know, I've been a partner in that in the family auction business sure. for about twenty years. Uh, and, uh, and so in 2002, at uh, kind of at a point in my life where I've been doing that for quite a you know number of years, obviously, and and uh, I'd always had a desire, always had an interest in someday you know possibly running for office. And so in 2002, my wife and I and kids at the time, you know, which they were younger, obviously, but uh, we had a discussion about it, and I said, well, if I'm going to do it, I think now's the time to do it. So made the decision to jump into a into the race and uh, ultimately was successful and ended up running four times and won each time. So it was, uh, you know, it was a good career. I guess that's uh, pretty impressive, John. Now the and you you were a Democrat, but I understand this area, kind of this large area here in West Central Illinois, it was sort of pretty heavily Republican. It was and is. Is that is it, would that be a correct assessment, John? Yes, it, it, it absolutely is correct. Um, so the district. You know, rough numbers is about 60% uh, Republican district if you look at the voting numbers. And as you mentioned, I am a Democrat and ran as a Democrat. But uh, I, um, you know, I worked very hard to, well, number one, I worked very hard. That was that was to, to represent a district of that size and even to run and, and to campaign in a district that size. Everybody wants you in the same place at the same time. Sure. So I was, uh, I spent a lot of time on the road and, uh, Running from community to community, and and uh, but uh, ultimately was successful, and and uh, you know fortunately, uh, people were able to set aside whether you know you have a D or an R after your name and, and vote for the person. And I think we see that on the local level, uh, if people know who it is that they're voting for, um, they have a much better chance of, of them that person voting for who the person is instead of what their you know what kind of a uh, letter they have behind their name. Right. Well, what's it been like, John, now since you've been back <clears throat> or taking the, the new gig as director of Illinois Department of Ag? Has that been like drinking through a fire hose here <laughs> a couple months, or how's that been going? Well, yes, of course. Uh, so three months about on the job, a little bit over, and uh, it's been it's been great. I, I first, first and foremost met a, a lot of really good people here at the Department of Ag, and uh, but uh, I've certainly learned a lot as well, just trying to understand what all the duties and responsibilities of the agency are and, and making sure that we have uh, people to do those jobs. And, uh, you know, we're heavily, you know, we do a lot of regulation or, you know, responsible for meat inspections and, um, you know, egg inspections and seed and feed and fertilizer and grain and elevators and scales and, you know, weights and measures. I mean, they, we have a lot of regulatory responsibilities. And then, so, you know, understanding all the different divisions and the bureaus here at the Department of Ag, that was kind of job number one and trying to meet the people that are in those agencies or in those divisions. Um, and, I, and I've been, I really made an effort to try to do that so I could understand what it is that they do and what their duties and responsibilities are. So, yeah, it's been you know the the analogy of drinking through the fire hose is certainly uh, a 
proper, and I still have a lot to learn. But every day that goes by, I feel a little more comfortable with what you know what I, sure. what's expected of me and my duties and responsibilities. Well, from an outside looking in, John, I would imagine you're two things helping you: your experience on the legislative side, 14 years in the in the Illinois Senate, and then also just your background. I mean, you besides the auction business, you actually farm. You have a, a farm there. Is it Schuyler County? Is why don't you tell us about how how both those experiences I would imagine help you out? So Joan and I, my wife Joan and I live on a farm just north of Rushville, a couple miles, as you mentioned, in Schuyler County. And it's a small operation, Greg. We have about 300 acres and 200 of it or so is in uh, yeah, under uh, production, grain production. We raise corn, soybeans, wheat, some clover and hay uh, for a small, we also have a small cow herd, cow-calf operation. And, uh, and of course, that's, uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's, that's heaven for me. I, I, there's no place I'd rather spend time than, than there on the farm. And, uh, but we, uh, that's where we raised, we have four children and raised our kids pretty much on the, on the farm there in Schuyler County. As a matter of fact, Joan and I met there in, in Rushville. We both moved there with positions when we got out of school. So that's been home for us. And, um, but I also was born and raised on a farm, really lived on a farm my entire life, uh, with the exception of time when I was away for school so I do have a uh, ag background and some certainly that ag experience my dad farmed his pretty much his whole life as well and and we uh, at one time dad had 130 stock cows so we uh, we had we put up a lot of little square bales back in the 70s and, and 80s and so we uh, you know we, we I think all of us uh, in the family pretty much understand have a good good grasp on on farming and agriculture which you know, to be the director of ag is, is certainly an, a, a tremendous asset. I mean, you you, will, you don't have to have that experience, but when you're sitting down with stakeholders on an issue, whatever that issue might be, uh, it, it certainly helps that you can at least talk the language, if you know what I mean. So, you know, you, you, when somebody starts using terms and, and, and referencing, you know, different things within the ag community, it's certainly best uh, I think it's uh, certainly helpful to know what it is that they're discussing right. and then the second part of that as you mentioned was my legislative experience uh, this is you know when you're in a state agency you're part of government and to have that 14 years of, of experience of being a state senator and, and uh, you know working on budgets and of course I sat on the Ag and Conservation Committee all, my whole time that I was in the Senate but also on appropriation committees and transportation committees and education. I mean, it, uh, all of that experience, certainly very helpful when, uh, you know, when, when there's an issue or you need to get a hold of somebody or to try to get an answer, it's, it's certainly nice to have those connections and, and uh, at least knowing who to go to and who to ask those questions of. And so it's really, I think it's helped open some doors while I'm just in the short time that I've been here. And, uh, and it, just to be able to go to somebody and, and, and get an answer to a question, obviously that's, as you can imagine, very helpful. Right. All right, John, let's shift a little bit here. Let's talk about Illinois Ag, what's happening right now. First of all, I imagine you're traveling a lot. I know you recently did with the auction business throughout the state and the Midwest. I know it's been wet. What, uh, what's the current status over there for people who are listening from, you know, a couple states away here? Well, we're, we're certainly still wet uh, throughout the state. We've, we've had a few days of dry weather here as you and I are, are talking, but uh, I live between the Illinois and the Mississippi River, um, and those uh, we've had significant flooding 
mm-hmm. and flood uh, high water uh, problems on on both issues. Uh, the Mississippi's kind of calmed down just a little bit, but the Illinois River is still very high. And uh, although we haven't had any serious uh, you know levee breaches, we still are dealing with very high water and seep waters and and uh, you know of course surface water from all the rain that we've had. So there's uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, anxiety out in the ag community right now some of it obviously weather related we're we're definitely behind schedule uh, mm-hmm. on on planting here in illinois but uh you know we got other issues out there that we're dealing right. with as well markets and what have you and trade and tariffs and you know those concerns as well but uh so we're, we're you know we're dealing with those issues uh, many of those many of the some of the issues that that are causing the problems here, not just in Illinois, but across the whole ag sector or, you know, national, federal mm-hmm. issues that kind of feel like we don't have a lot of control over, but uh, certainly mm-hmm. we can do what we can to try to voice to the appropriate people what's what's going on uh, out, you know, out in the real world. And I, you know, certainly take every opportunity that I can to, to talk to our, either our federal legislators or, and or, you know, folks out in, uh, out in Washington. Uh, mm-hmm. I've had some contact with you know, different individuals with, uh, within the USDA and uh, certainly uh, trying to do what we can to encourage them to, uh, to move forward and get some results, uh, get, get, come to a conclusion on some of the problems that we're facing. Right. And for any business or business sector, uncertainty is a powerful thing and uncertainty is not so good. So I was going to ask you, John, just your take. You no, know, I know from the auction business, too, throughout 2018, you guys are so connected there. But your just general take on the mood of uh, farmers throughout Illinois when you're traveling, talking, I mean, how would you classify it right now? So we, farmers are an optimistic group of individuals. You know, we have to be or else we wouldn't, you know, put a seed in the ground and, and hope that it grows. So we, you know, there's there's always, it just seems like there's always eternal optimism out there and, and there still is. And, and we know that, uh, you know, with the equipment that we have and the technology that's out there, we can get a lot done in a very short period of time. So, uh, you know, we, we, we feel pretty good about that. But that being said, you know, there is, uh, there is still the, uh, the concerns that we're, that we're all facing. And, uh, um, you know, there's, uh, we've seen there's, there's no question that the, we're, there's, there's financial issues in the, in the ag community. Uh, you know, there's bankruptcies that are, that are up, uh, that are increasing some, uh, and, uh, you know, that, that's a concern that we all have. And hopefully, uh, you know, we just, we just need to, we need to, you, you met, you hit it right on the head when you said that it's the uncertainty that I think that we're all facing. And of course, as farmers, we, we experience that all the time. You know, when you plant a crop, you have no idea, number one, what you're going to raise, number two, what you're going to, what kind of price you're going to get for it. And same thing with, you know, when the calves are on the ground, what they're, what they're going to be worth, uh, you know, when you get ready to sell those. So that uncertainty is something that we deal with all the time in the, in the, in the farm community. But there's just some really big items, big factors that are hanging over us right now. And, uh, um, you know, if, if once we get a resolution to that, some stability to, you know, at least just some stability in the discussions that are taking place around, not just around the country, but certainly around the world, I think we're all going to feel a little bit better. But Right now, it's, uh, there's a lot of pressure on everybody, and uh, we've got a kind of behind uh, behind uh, the eight ball here with regard to getting the crops in the ground, and and so that uh, and then some of these bigger issues. But you know, we, uh, once we get it, just it's amazing how fast things can turn around. Right. You know, we get right. a couple of dry weeks here, and 
we get a crop in the ground and things can change pretty quickly. Right. John, let's talk about your goals now that as, as director of the Illinois Department of Agriculture, you took the reins there. What are, you, what are the top of mind things for you as you wade forward here for this year and the year, years to come? Well, probably when I, when I walked in the door here back in uh, January, uh, late January, the uh, kind of one issue that was really waiting for me when I got here was uh, the state of Illinois last year passed the Industrial Hemp Act. Mm. And uh, the farm bill that passed last year, the federal farm bill, also has a provision in it to uh, uh, for industrial hemp. So when I when I got here, there was um, uh, many people. The, the amount of interest in, in growing hemp in the state, I, and I'm sure it's the same across the country, has just been it's just been unbelievable. Uh, calls and letters and emails and people stopping me on the street uh, asking, you know, what the status of the of the hemp uh, you know legislation and 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 rules are with regard to the Department of Ag. So when I got here, uh, the, the act had been passed last year, but it really hadn't been. Um, the next step was to it was to create the rules for the Industrial Hemp Act, and and there had been some work done on it. But the previous administration and the governor's office really that was not a priority for them, and so uh, they the Department of Ag was instructed to kind of set that aside and and you know, not really do too much with it. But the new administration, when Governor Pritzker was sworn in, and, and uh, certainly I knew it was important, we kind of put our heads together and made a commitment that we were going to do everything that we could um, with the resources that we had available to try to have it so that people, if they wanted to plant hemp in 2019, that they could do it. So I instructed our, you know, our folks here at the department uh, to finish those rules up and, and shepherd that process through and and uh, on May 1st of, of uh, this month, we had the rules finalized and had the application process completed. And we uh, thus far have had a very successful and about, I would say a very robust uh, uh, number of applicants and people that are, have applied for and received their permits to plant hemp here in Illinois. So we're really excited about that. We think it's, you know, number one, I feel pretty good that it's going to give us, uh, as, a, as, a far, as the farm community, it's going to give us another crop that, uh, you know, has the potential uh, to incorporate it into a rotation and give us a little diversity. Number two, uh, the processing side of it, so hemp can be used for the fiber. Hemp is really grown for two purposes. One is for the fiber side of it, so, you know, traditionally you think of rope, but right. they also use it and it's more like a plastic uh, replacement for plastic pro- uh, products. And then the second thing it's used for is uh, it's a different type of uh, hemp plant, but it's same family, but it's grown. Uh, it's used first uh, and, and crushed into an oil that's called CBD oil, and also something that has uh, gained a tremendous amount of popularity around the country. So um, I'm really uh, our first day that we had uh, the applications in our first 24 hours, Greg. We had almost I think 300 applicants uh, apply online. Wow. It was a couple thousand acres uh, just within the first 24 hours, so really excited about that. And I, I just checked here a little bit ago. We have 640 applicants so far to date and, and over 13,000 acres that have been uh, applied for. So we knew there would be a lot of interest, but certainly was excited about that. And, you know, the, on the processing side of it, so people apply for both the grower license, but they can also apply for a processing license. Mm-hmm. and. And really, I think that that's where some opportunities are, will be in the rural parts of the state, especially is, uh, you know, if we can develop, um, you know, in businesses and individuals that want to process uh, hemp into a product, 
that's going to create some jobs in the rural parts of the state. So we're really excited about that. Wow. That's very cool, John. Uh, but you're saying that you were able to pass the rules and get that through the Illinois legislature by May 1st to take effect to allow the growers here to take off in 2019? That, well, that sounds almost impossible. How'd you do it? Well, we have, number one, just a great staff here. We have, uh, in, in our hemp, our hemp division is not a very big, big division. There's mm-hmm. really just three people in there full time. But those, those folks, along with our legal staff, they, they had done they had done some preliminary work in, in trying to get a draft of the rules, but uh, it had been put on the back shelf. But we you know we re- resurrected it and uh, uh, finalized it, and then it was uh, it, it was a process. I mean, uh, in, in the General Assembly, it's not not the full General Assembly, but a, a joint committee on administrative rules uh, committee, which is made up of legislators. They have to they have to sign off on the final rules, and if they don't like them, then they send it back to to the agency and then it starts a clock all over and it's another, you know, 30 to 60 day process. But mm. we made sure, you know, this is where I think my legislative experience really came in handy because number one, I understand that process. And number two, I even understand, you know, I even know many of the people that sit on those committees and, uh, mm. you know, I wanted to make sure that we, when we sent our rules to that committee, we felt pretty confident that, that they were done properly, that all the questions had been asked, you know, we had public comment period where the public could, you know, uh, ask questions or make suggestions of our rules, which we tried to incorporate. So uh, we really had done our homework and it was, it turned out to be very, very successful. And then our IT department, the uh, the applications, that whole process is done online. And, uh, you know, we were concerned, gosh, you know, the, the system might crash on us, but our IT folks really, we had a bunch of run-throughs uh, prior to opening it up and uh, they did a great job so we just had some really good people here and they were dedicated and they knew this was a priority and so we were successful in uh, making sure that the rollout went well. Sounds like some other states should be contacting you guys John to, for a roadmap on how to get things moving in short order that's again impressive. Uh, now I don't, well, I don't Greg, know. I, uh, uh, Greg let me just say on, on that note it's kind of a, 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 a humorous to me but uh, there was another state and I won't say which state it was but they they rolled out their program about the and uh, the headline was is that particular state was swamped and uh, the system was uh, overburdened with 300 applications. Mm-hmm. Well, ours, uh, uh, we, we had no problems whatsoever. And, and uh, so it, it does take some pre-planning and, and uh, we were just very successful in, in getting that done. So, uh, you know, it was, it was a, our, our folks here did an outstanding job. Well, getting her done under pressure. I mean, given the current state of ag and maybe people looking to shift some acres and but needing the okay to know they can grow hemp and you guys sort of made that happen now I'm, I'm no expert on the hemp john is that is the window a little later than the corn and beans in terms of planting what was your understanding of it or and, and and greg i'm not an expert on hemp either as far as the growing of it but just the the folks that i've talked to that do know it said that you know may one is really the ideal time that they could uh they wanted to be able to to get the applications done and so that may one to june one is kind of the planning period on it planting period so uh we're just uh you know somebody said june one i know you can go later than that but uh that's kind of the you know it's it's maybe a little bit after the prime corn soybean planting time but it really kind of falls within the latter side of that window well sure it'll be interesting to watch it roll out here in 2019 and hopefully it'll be a good season and we'll uh create a new industry here and everything will be good now, one other uh, 
initiative. I, I was reading a little bit, John, a ton of articles when you took the position there. Uh, it seems like you have uh, quite a focus on increasing uh, rural broadband access throughout Illinois. Uh, is that accurate? Why don't you talk about that a little bit? So when I when I had that sit down with the governor elect back in December about taking this position, you know, we had a we had a conversation about what what could what can we do to improve the the ag and and the rural economies uh, in here in Illinois. And uh, of course, that a lot of that focus evolves around creating jobs and, and opportunities to to grow jobs. And I and I told the governor, I said one one of the biggest problems that we face out in the rural parts of the state is uh, just not, there's there's not the infrastructure for internet and high-speed internet service, so the lack of broadband. And, and there's there's large areas in the state of Illinois, and I, I assume probably most states, that there's, it's either unserved, there is no, you know, no good uh, internet uh, links, or it's underserved, be, meaning that there may be internet service there, but it's not adequate to really run, um, computers and programs at the level that we need to, to, you know, to run a business. And I know this personally from, you know, where we live. And I also know it from a business standpoint, from the auction company standpoint, you know, you can imagine Greg, and you know this better than anybody, but, um, you know, the, the auction business has changed over the years and, mm. uh, you know, online auctions are you know very, very common and becoming more so all the time. And, and so as an auction company, we were running, into problems where just there wasn't the service there, uh, the internet, the high-speed internet service to, to really run some of these programs. And every business out in the rural parts of the state are facing that. So we had that, I had that conversation with the governor. And I said, I, you know what, I think an initiative that I think that I and, and the department and certainly the state and the governor could work on would be to try to increase that broadband capacity out in the rural parts of the state. And boy, the governor really picked up on that. I mean, just, uh, just immediately saw the, the need and why that made sense. And so when I, when I, uh, became the director, uh, he, you know, that, that's not something the department of ag normally does. does. Mm-hmm. This isn't, you know, really under our, under our, um, uh, job description, but because I felt like it was important and the governor did why we, uh, we, we have been working on that, uh, now for, for several months and, um, and the governor's office has certainly put their, you know, their uh, uh, power behind uh, what we're trying to get accomplished. And so what I what I did is, uh, first first thing I did was try to, you know, I think we got to identify where the problem is. And so I brought all the stakeholders together. I brought the providers. I brought the, you know, Farm Bureau, because <clears throat> obviously access and right away access is an issue. And I brought, uh, uh, you know, the people that lay the, the cable uh, and, you know, the people that provide the wireless service and I just we I convened a group of you know about 60 or 70 people and I said this is this is first of all I said we we want to increase you know broadband out in the rural parts of the state and uh, I need you your expertise to help us you know figure out how to do that from that from that discussion uh, we've had uh, obviously many follow-up meetings we broke into working groups and and we really made a lot of progress uh, I think right now we're you know, as you and I speak here today, the, uh, the we've got a couple weeks left in the in our session, uh, the General Assembly session at the Capitol in Springfield, and and uh, to to do what we want to do is going to take some money. So uh, now we're working on the funding side of it to try to uh, to make sure that broadband, rural broadband, is going to be included in a capital bill if they pass one, so mm-hmm. that we have the funding to to try to uh, you know uh, make sure that we've got the infrastructure in place so that we can provide the service in the rural parts of the place and the rural parts of the state so that 
businesses and individuals uh, can 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 operate a business where they live and in the communities they live. That's that's what we're trying to achieve. Well, that sounds that's that's good stuff, John. I was curious because I've heard the you know I live grew up in rural West Central Minnesota and all around the country here. Uh, rural broadband access has always been an issue, but it gosh, it just seems to me it was hard to get concrete steps forward. So I was curious to see what you're doing there. And I know, I know you and your brothers, you're kind of, uh, well, not kind of, you get things done. Attitude is, uh, is well known and appreciated. So that, that's fascinating. Are you, now I know one of the other things I read, John, about one of your goals as a director of Illinois Department of Ag, uh, you know, creating jobs in rural America. Are you looking at rural uh, broadband access as a key component of that goal? Absolutely. I mean, these, uh, so when there's, as you saw in some of the articles, when I took this position and when I was interviewed about the taking the job and we were talking about rural broadband and some of the, uh, issues that we face that we're facing. And that was in the paper. And I immediately, I immediately got, I mean, a number of phone calls and emails from business owners all over the state that are faced with the very challenges that uh, uh, that we've talked about, you know, the lack of that access, number one, or the lack of, uh, of the speed to run the types of programs, computer programs and software programs that it takes to run a business. And, and I mean, it just, I knew it from a personal experience, but when, when I got those phone calls from actual biz, other business owners around the state uh, and explaining what their challenges were, I use those examples in, in many of the meetings that I've had uh, as I'm trying to explain to uh, you know the stakeholders and the, and the people that we're trying to convince and whether it's legislators or folks in the governor's office or whatever that you know the, these, these what is holding people back from uh, either expanding well back up it's holding them back from either starting a business in, in some of the rural areas that we're talking about or expanding a business, growing their business, uh, is, is simply the fact that it's a, it's, a, it's a lack of infrastructure. And when you talk about infrastructure, <clears throat> yes, it's yes, it's roads and bridges and yes, it's uh, water and, and uh, electricity, but it, it's also in this day and age, it's, it's, it's internet. It's, it's just it's one of the things that you have to have uh, to really to operate the business efficiently. So, right. um, you know, when I had those stories, uh, I mean, it, 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 when you have actual business owners telling you, I, I had to, you know, I had to lay people off or I, I can't hire people because I simply don't have the capacity in the internet uh, service and high speed service to, uh, to grow my business. I'm, I'm either going to have to move somewhere. I'm going to have to close. I'm going to have to move somewhere where I can, uh, you know, where I can get that service that I need. And so those are real examples. I think it, I, I think it is certainly uh, a step in the right direction. So yes, I think it, it definitely will help us create jobs. And uh, yeah, almost to unleash creativity that we know is in rural America for ideas and new ways of doing things, having high speed internet, uh, like you say, that's that's like having a good road or the mail service. It just has to be there, right? It's just critical. It's just uh, in this day and age, the technology that we have. I mean, we we all know there's people uh, can. Uh, one of my sons works for a company, and and he can really work anywhere that he wants as long as he has the uh, the connectivity to to get onto the uh, World Wide Web, right, and to run the programs that he needs. And so. Right. 
Uh, he, he tells me all the time, he actually lives out in Colorado, but he tells me all the time, you know, Dad, you, you, you're, you don't have any service there where you live. I mean, that's we do, but he says it's just not enough to really uh, mm-hmm. adequately run a, any kind of a program. And so um, yeah, it just, it, it's, a, it's just a very real problem, and uh, yeah, it's not going to be easy. I tell you, one of the first challenges that I had, which is, this is kind of ironic, but uh, I started meeting with some of the providers, the folks that, that provide internet services, and I and I said, well, um, and one of them brought a map in, and it showed the state of Illinois, and it said, and on this map, it showed, you know, here's where we have tower towers, here where, here's where we have fiber optic uh, cable, and you know, a great map, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I said that's that's what I'm looking for. We we have to we have to, we have to identify where there is service, and, and more importantly, where there isn't. The infrastructure, uh, and I said, "That's you know, that's the information that, that we need." And, and they said, "Well, we, we can't share this information. We'll show it to you, but you know, it's not public information because obviously that's that's our livelihood." And, and the other providers said the same thing. So it's been very difficult to even try to identify on a map, you know, where where the service is and where it isn't. So that that was that was one of our first challenges. And uh, you know, Greg, I, I forgot the fact, of course, that you're in Minnesota, and actually Minnesota is. Uh, you know, they've been one of the states that have um, tried to uh, get out in front on this issue, and they have uh, they came up with some plans and, and models that many of the other states, including Illinois, were looking at. So, uh, you know, it's uh, sometimes you don't want to reinvent the wheel if, if another state has done a good job. I've talked to some folks over in Missouri and, and uh, you know, and, and Michigan and Minnesota. So we're, we're trying to trying to take a little bit from what everybody else is doing and come up with a model that's going to work best uh, here in Illinois. Well, I love the effort and the prioritizing, John. That's good stuff. Uh, let me throw a little esoteric question at you here. Now, you're—I mean, you're a small town rural guy. You're representing all of Illinois there. I—I I grew up in a small town. I travel the country doing our machinery TV stuff, and love small town rural America. It's—it's—it's it's in, it's in our bones. But unfortunately, we see—you know—a lot of stress out there and it's what i'm just wondering 10 20 30 50 years if we snap our fingers how what or how what can we do to attract people back to small town rural to to live and to be happy and i know on the one hand cost of living should be a huge benefit but as you think about that what what things do you think we can do collectively to draw people back to the benefits of living small town rural well we're going to have to number one we're going to have to be able to offer basic services right so we're mm-hmm. going to have to have a you know a good education system we're going to have to have the services you know whether it's uh you know food and, and the retail side of it um, that that's going to be important um you know we can talk about the pluses yes our cost of living is, is much less and, and uh you know, the pace is slower, which, you know, some people like, mm-hmm. some people don't. But I think we uh, talk about the positive things that we have, but we have to have, we, we have to be able to offer those basic services uh, that uh, people are going to need every day to, to, you know, just to simply live. And so, and, and many of these small communities, they, they just, they don't, they don't have those services. They, mm-hmm. they, you know, whether it's a grocery store that is closed down or it's, a, you know, the uh, school system maybe has moved away, which, uh, is uh, you know kind of a sign of the times as far as you know because mm-hmm. of the drops in the population that's causing you know the reduction of some of these other services. I was mm-hmm. in a small community here so a month ago or so that there there the only restaurant in town was about to close and mm-hmm. you know there was a group of people that were 
uh, really scrambling to, to, to try to, uh, to come up with a way to keep it open because they saw it as really a lifeline to that community. It's a, it's a, it's a one place where they could gather, the community could gather and, and you know, um, have the, you know, the social aspect of, of life. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they, these are just, these are real, real issues that they're facing. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I guess it, it kind of all comes back to the big circle. You know, you have to have in place, you have to have, be, be able to provide some services that infrastructure, you know, you got to be able to get there, and you got to be able to live. You have to have quality or affordable housing there. Uh, those are those are some of the things that uh, it's going to. We're going to have to. That's where our, I think our focus and our concentration has to be. Does the state of Illinois, John, have any programs with, with for the small rural towns in, in terms of their housing stock? To any programs to sort of help? Uh, what would you say? Freshen up the housing stock where it's been difficult as population has declined, or is that? something on the radar or is that kind of far out there are some programs like that and i was very involved with them when i was in the senate not so much here at the department of ag but uh, yes uh, i will say most of those programs were federal it was federal money that was passed through money that came to the states and the states uh, administered those programs but yeah we uh, gosh we were involved with a number of communities where uh, either you know either low very low interest or even some grant money that was uh made available to homeowners that they could, uh, you know, do some work on their home, whether it was certainly from an uh, energy efficiency side, you know, to try to make the home more uh, energy energy efficient. That was, mm-hmm. a, that was a big part of it, but also just to improve, really to improve quality of life. And uh, uh, those, those and, and there were some good programs. They weren't perfect, but they were some good programs. And, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it seems like that's always our challenge in the, here in Illinois and in, in many other states uh, because of the population bases and you know the, the population is where it, you know legislators are chosen based on population and so as, uh, as the rural parts I mean it's, it's kind of a snowball effect but as the rural population de- declines and more of the population mm-hmm. moves to the larger urban areas then that's where the you know kind of where the votes go so to speak and so it's really it's really important to uh, you know to to have some reasonable voices there that will that can carry on a discussion because I always remember this when I was in the Senate there was an initiative that was really important to agriculture and uh, but the vast majority majority of the members of the House and the Senate had no ag experience mm-hmm. it was, you would you would say well how, how are you going to get the, those folks to vote for you know to vote for legislation that benefits agriculture and and really. It was an education process. It was uh, it was it was having the ability to sit down and, and carry on a discussion and explain why this was important. And uh, you know, it was trying to find compromise. And I, you know, unfortunately, compromise has become a dirty word mm-hmm. in politics, which I don't get. I don't I don't right. believe that's right, not by any stretch of the imagination, because you know you, you you need to work together. And you you know you may not get a whole pie, but if you get three fourths of that pie, uh, you've 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 made progress. And so. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's just trying to work together and and and, and you know try to uh, uh, understand. You know, you need you need to understand where you're where you're starting from, right? So if we can make improvement, if we can make things better for our community and, and not hurt somebody else, that's that's you know that that's making progress. That's moving the ball forward. Well, I'm glad you uh, touched on this, John. I was hoping to talk to you about it a little bit. Uh, you know, you said you know, actually compromise has become a dirty word, and it's. It's just where we're at, but now 
I look at your history, and you were a you know Democrat uh, elected senator in a Republican heavy, heavily Republican district, and then when you were in the Senate, I believe you were one of the only, maybe the only active farmer in the Illinois Senate, but yet you were able to, whether, you know, reaching across the aisle or, you know, now as someone who successfully did this work, give me your sense on where we're at now and is it possible to, you know, change for the better so we can kind of roll the boat in the same direction? What, what's your take? Well, I'm a, I'm an, I'm a farmer, so I'm a, an eternal optimist. I, I, I just, you have to be, I think, uh, in, and to be a farmer, and I think you hopefully you have to be, and you should be if you're if you decide to be in politics or you know be an elected official. But I was I was successful, I think, uh, for a couple reasons. First of all, I um, you know you have to you have to be able to earn somebody's respect, and um, and when you sit down and you tell somebody. Uh, that you, you know, there's an issue that you're working on and, and you, you need their vote, vote, you need their support. You, you, you first of all have to be able to explain why it's important and why you believe it's the right thing to do. And, uh, and, you, and you do that by having the facts, you know, not making stuff mm-hmm. up, but actually having the facts and, and making sure that all the questions get answered. And, and I, uh, you know, that, that was really important to me. I, uh, I, <laughs> Dad used to say, uh, and of course I'm am one of eleven. Uh, I have ten <laughs> siblings, and uh, we uh, so a large family. And, and my dad used to say, you know, kids just get along when we get to squabbling. You know, just get along. And and I think what he meant, or I know what he meant by it, was you know just work it out. You know, he made his work problems out. And so I uh, I think that was kind of hammered into my head, uh, so that when there's a when there's a problem, I, I really believe in. And making number one, making sure that I have all the information that that I possibly can get, so that I that I've educated myself on the issue, so that so that I understand it. Number one, and then number two, try to look at it from the other person's standpoint. So you know, uh, it, it, yes, it's important to me, but why why would it be important to this person or this person or that community or whatever? So I always try to put myself in their shoes and, and look at it from their angle and. And, uh, you know, you, you're not going to win on everything, uh, but it, it's, it's just, it, it, it's, it's, it's building respect. It's, it's, it's educating, you know, people yourself and others around you as to why it's important. And then, uh, and then understanding that, you know, uh, not everybody's going to support it, but really, you know, if you're, if you're moving the ball forward, that's, that's really the bottom line. That's what you're trying to accomplish. John, I love your dad's advice. Work it out, kids. That's uh, <laughs> just get along. Work it out. Just get along. I've heard that a thousand times. <laughs> uh, no, this might be a little ironic. I'm a, I built a database business here, but one thing I I really get stressed about and don't like is all these purity tests for legislators on how they voted on certain yep. issues. And, it, and but I, I love your advice on practical ways. It seems to me like a key a key ingredient here is just listening to your opponents or boy oh my gosh you're you're absolutely right i mean uh you know i uh when i was an elected official i had the opportunity to visit a lot of leadership programs especially in schools high schools and talk to different classes and groups and 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 uh so i kind of came up with a you know a list of what what it takes to be a good leader what what it takes to be an effective leader and 
and you know you you know you, you need to be able to communicate you certainly need to educate yourself and understand the issues you know these are some some of the points uh, that I thought were important but the, the always the, the last issue and I and I always saved it for the last because I believe and still do believe it was the most important part of being a good leader and that's that's the ability to listen hmm. and uh, in this day and age it's in some instances it's a it's a lost uh, it's a lost art but uh, right. and nothing frustrates me more when I'm t- visiting with somebody and and you know you're trying to have a conversation with them but you know they're not listening to anything you're saying they're just they right. want to get their point across which you know that's important everybody wants to do that but there has to be a, a happy medium there because if you're not understanding what the person that you're talking to and you're trying to explain something to if they're if they're not listening to you and you're not listening to them you're you're not making you're not making any progress whatsoever you're probably going backwards yeah. so it's yeah I, I couldn't agree with you more well let's go back to to, to dad here john now we wind this back a little bit and of course i've i've known you and your brothers uh unbelievable business you've built and grew there with sullivan auctioneers but uh now your dad started it and what year was that john so my, my oldest brother, Mike, and, uh, and my dad started, I believe it was in 77 or 78. Dad's uh, name? Was, I'm sorry? Your dad's name was? Don. Don. Yeah, okay. Don. Yeah, and uh, so Mike went to auction school. I uh, came home from auction school, and, uh, and and dad said, I'll do whatever I can to help you get started in business well dad was a, he was a natural and uh there's nobody nobody appreciated the auction business more than he and so mike and he started and then brother dan got into the company and brother jim got into it i got into it and brother joe got into it now our sons are in it and, and daughter-in-laws and uh right. it's uh cut nieces and nephews and it's really grown into quite a business my my brother bill recently joined the company as well so right. we uh, uh but dad yeah dad was uh, dad's really the one that taught us and I, I we can't give all the credit to dad or my mother too i mean they taught us to uh you know to work hard and to treat people with respect and and everything else will kind of fall and fall in line and, and certainly it has done that so uh you know it just takes really some basic rules of of life and, and how to treat people and that's uh that's really the most important ingredients that you uh that you that you need to succeed mm. well you say dad was a natural what do, what do you mean by just a great people person <laughs> a listener what tell me about dad oh he just uh he's he just had a big heart and uh he was a, he was a pretty good sized man and and just uh very very generous uh and uh would uh would kind of do anything for anybody if they if he felt like they needed it, and uh, and he just uh, one one thing that you know was very important to to my to my father was uh, to treat people with respect, and if you do, they're going to treat you back with respect, and uh, you know was respect was just a, a big part of who that man was, and mm. and so uh, you know it's just it was just all good advice. Uh, we, of course, when we were growing up. Yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a lesson uh, sit down and, and talk about respect it was it was by example I mean uh, you know he showed us every day just in, in the way he treated people and the, the way he treated uh, you know his family uh, that that's you you don't respect isn't a title that you're given it's a title that you earn right right well it's, I tell you it's been fun from my seat to building my business over the years working with Sullivan auctioneers and, and particularly watching Kind of the, just observing the details on what you did because people, wherever I go, people ask me, you know, what, hey, tell me about those Sullivan brothers. 
And I, I always smile and just say, you know, they work hard and they treat people right. And that sounds super simple and easy, but there's no off switch to that. And it's just, I, it sounds like from talking to you, John, that was kind of uh, instilled with you guys by, you know, through your parents and your upbringing. Well, and it was, and uh, and the other thing is, of course, Greg, and you know this from, gosh, your success, uh, but, you know, it's, it's the ability to adapt and change as well. I mean, we're, we're going through, we've seen a lot of changes in the auction business, and, you know, we talked about uh, the Internet and how that's changed, uh, you know, but uh, social media, and you, you kind of were in the forefront in the ag community as far as getting on social media and talking on media and talking about, auctions and uh you know generating excitement and enthusiasm and uh, interest and uh uh gosh I, I go back to the and i know you've referenced it many times but that that crook auction that we had uh, gosh i don't even know what year that was but it was uh, march 6 2009 john that's the date what was the date again march 6 2009 i'll remember till the day i die you know the uh, we had those low 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 houred uh, tractors and I think combine and uh, uh, it was uh, that that just uh, I think it was really one of the I guess in my, in, at least in my mind and uh, memory was really one of the first events that that uh, we really saw how powerful social media can be in uh, in generating you know, interest and interest is advertising and in the auction business advertising is everything right I mean you. Right you got to get the word out so that people know what's there. So, uh, you know, so uh, I just, we've, we've, you, you have to be able to change. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. I can't even tell you what year it was, but I was in the business and, and uh, there was all this talk about creating a website. You know, everybody needed a website and we did not have one. And really nobody in the auction business probably had one. And, and uh, we kind of put our heads together and, and uh, not everybody thought it was necessary in the company, but we decided to go ahead with it. And, we created a website and good grief, you know, was, and we can even back up. I remember, you know, sale bills didn't used to have pictures on them and we started putting pictures mm-hmm. on them and then they were color pictures and then they were glossy, you know, brochures. And I mean, it's just, it's just the ability to, to change and adapt and bring in new technology and, and you know, trying to make uh, smart decisions as you, right. as you make decisions for your business. Well, don't you think that, I mean, what you just described, being willing to change, whether it's at a personal level or in a business level, and that's what makes America great. That's the opportunity, absolutely. right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, you know, you, uh, you know, it's taking new ideas. It's, uh, you know, everybody can. It's so easy to get into a rut. And gosh, I think anybody can, you know, understand how easy that is to do because we get comfortable. But boy, when you get comfortable, especially in business, that's when, that's when somebody your competition mm. is gonna, you know, gonna take advantage, right? And absolutely. so, if you're not always thinking, trying to think ahead and, and be, uh, you know, be be aggressive and. You know, we've, we've been in a company, I mean, so at one time there were six of us brothers that were in the auction business, uh, I guess five of us at one time, but, uh, you know, we're all different and not everybody agreed that mm-hmm. what well, this, this uh, you know, this was the right thing to do, but we, you know, the, the, the consensus was, you know, we always kind of went with the consensus consensus, and, and so, you know, most of those decisions were good decisions. Thank goodness we had uh, some folks in the company that were forward thinking and, uh, everybody else had the ability to kind of, uh, you know, work because we, everybody had our own specialty, you know, we all had our, our kind of interests and in, in areas that we were good at. And that's, that's another reason why I think we've been very successful as a company. Well, John, uh, just to wrap it up here, I want to, 
I want to shift a little bit here on the on the topic of advice. You've had an amazing career, uh, the things you've done. Um, and I know it's maybe not in your nature to <clears throat> to you know you're not a soapbox guy, but I know two of your boys, Matt and Luke, with uh, back with the company Sullivan Auctioneers, and, and folks. You probably know Matt and Luke, but I tell you what, I, I don't know if I've met two sharper young guys and they work hard and with, with cousins James and Michael there. As a parent, what what advice would you give? A lot of our listeners have young kids out there. As, as a parent of well, young daughters, what would you offer up, John? So, uh, first of all, Greg, I have four children, too. I have two other children as well, and they are they are equally as successful and, and great mm-hmm. uh, great young people as, as Matt and Luke are. Uh, they you know they've chosen to go and go a different direction in business, and but they're very successful in their own rights, and they're all you know I, I attribute uh, all of our kids' success to my wife. She uh, she's she's the uh, moral compass uh, and has really instilled in them a lot of good qualities, but. Uh, you know, as far as, as, as advice to young people out there, and, and I, I spoke to a high school class over in Central Illinois last week, uh, uh, I, I, and it was in it was in a it was in a uh, great it was in a classroom. There was about I don't know probably thirty or forty kids in there, and uh, I said, "How many of you in this room uh, are, live on a farm right now?" And there's about one or two hands went up, and I said, "Well, the rest of you," I said, "I don't know what you know what your future holds." But agriculture, I said, number one, it's great, great opportunities in agriculture. And you don't have to be you know, born or raised on a farm or even really have that much knowledge about farming because the opportunities are, you know, in marketing and it's the technology side of it and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, in the sales side of it, uh, it, it, the, it, the opportunities are tremendous. And so I, you know, all four of my children were born and raised on a farm and all four of them went to public universities and got degrees in agriculture, which I'm very proud of. But um, I just think that the, the opportunities out in the ag sector right now, with the, especially on the technology side of it, whether you're looking at the, the equipment side of it or the seed or the agronomy side of it, I think there's so many opportunities there. And uh, there's demand out there. Uh, uh, so uh, if you're, you know, if you're a young person or if you're a parent, you know, Trying to help a, a child decide what direction to go, uh, I just I just think there's just tremendous opportunities available in the ag, uh, right. the ag community right now. Oh, I hear you, John. Okay, one last question now. Again, you you mentioned you got into politics in your mid forties. Uh, what would you say to people out there, whether they're in their you know twenties, twenty five, or any point on the age scale, thinking about politics? And obviously, that's sort of a dirty word these days, but why should people think, why should you folks raise their hand and say, I'll give it a shot? Well, you know, I, I'll tell you the words of advice that my dad gave me when I went to see him that one evening after my wife, Joan, and I had decided that I was going to run for the Senate, and we were all excited, and of course everybody else was as well, but dad didn't say much, he just kind of sat there and listened, and after some of the chatter uh, had dropped, uh, slowed down, dad said, uh, well, John, if you're going to do this, you better have thick skin. Mm. <laughs> and I'll never forget those words because at the time I thought, oh, yeah, well, whatever, you know, and yeah. kind of brushed it off. But uh, as I got into it, I understood, you know, number one, very, I understood very, very well what he meant by that. And so, um, you know, you have to, politics is, is, a, is a rough and tumble business. Um, 
and you have to you have to go into it knowing number one that you can't please everybody. There's going to be sure. there's going to be folks that are going to disagree with the, the decisions that you make and the the, uh, the opinion opinions that you have. So you have to understand that number one. Um, you know, number two, you need to be able to explain why you're making the decisions that you have made. You need to justify, and that, and and to do that, you have you better understand what it is that you're making decisions on. You better educate yourself on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, but number three, and it really probably most importantly, uh, you know, it, it truly is public service. Uh, I I know that's maybe a bit of a cliche, but I did, you know, I, when I decided that I wanted to run for office, I, it wasn't uh, boy, it was certainly not for any glamour mm-hmm. or glory. It was to make a difference, you know, to try to, to try to help people and mm-hmm. uh, to better their lives and better the communities. And uh, as long as you, uh, you know, don't, uh, as long as you don't lose focus to that. And we all know there's been examples where that has happened. But uh, if, uh, if you're, if you're, if you're wanting to get into, into government, if you're wanting, wanting to get into politics, uh, because, uh, because you want to make lives better or life better for people, then, then that's the right reason. If you're doing it for glory, then you better go find another, go be an auctioneer or something, right? here, Greg. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I, I think it's a, it is a calling. There's no question about it in my mind. There's some people that are, uh, that are built for it. You know, they're wired to do that. And, uh, and it's a, and it's a process. It's, it's, a, it's understanding people and, and, you know, working with people and boy, there's, there's no tougher job. I, I will tell you, it's uh, by far the toughest job that I've ever had is when I was an elected official and uh, representing a big area and, and uh, you know, just, uh, but I had a lot of good people. I went to some people and got some good advice and tried to, you know, try to understand, uh, you know, always try to understand where the other guy's coming from. Well, that is awesome, John. I, I thank you for your perspective on that. And uh, I think I speak on behalf of not just the folks of Illinois, but, you know, beyond, thank you for, for your service, for what you've done over the years and what you're doing now as the director of Illinois Department of Ag. And we wish you success. And again, I can't thank you enough for being our, our first guest. I've really enjoyed the conversation today, John. Well, Greg, you're welcome, number one. Uh, and I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed visiting with you as well. And, you know, I just, uh, I, I, when I get a minute every once in a while, I click on your website just to try to get an update as to what's going on in the in the world. I don't always get to follow the uh, certainly on the auction side of it and some of the equipment side of it. Although my uh, my sons and brothers try to keep me updated, but there's I uh, don't always have time to do that. So I click on your website every every so often just to get a pulse of what's going on out there in the real world. But uh, you know, I don't know when this is gonna when this is gonna be on the air or be recorded or when everybody's gonna listen to it. But gosh, I hope. Uh, I know as, uh, when the weather dries up, people are going to be going pretty hard here trying to get some crops in, but please go slow and be careful and, and keep safety in mind because uh, we, don't want anybody, we don't want any accidents. We don't want anybody to get hurt. Mm-hmm. And even the non-ag community out there, just uh, just slow down and be aware that there's going to be a lot of equipment on the road here uh, over the next uh, 30 days. So keep that in mind as you're, yeah, as you're driving around the country. Great point, John. I love it. And, uh Again, we'll wrap it up and thank you for being on. And uh, I hope to uh, have you on again soon and get some updates on uh, all the great initiatives you've got going on there. Thanks, Greg. It's been great. I really appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thanks, John. Well, I really want to thank John Sullivan for taking time out of his extremely busy schedule 
as director of Illinois Department of Agriculture for, for that conversation. Really fun. I hope you enjoyed it, folks. And uh, John Sullivan there, one of 11 kids growing up, amazing career he's had. And uh, just to thank you for, for continuing to dig in to give back and to take on the task that he's been charged with. There are a lot on his plate, but uh, I think the state of Illinois is in capable hands there. Well, I know it is. I know it is. And I uh, just want to, again, thank you folks for tuning in to our first episode. And we want to make this a weekly uh, Machine Repeat podcast. So I hope to uh, join you here back next week. We'll have another guest. And again, just a wide variety of folks across the, the ag and farm machinery space. Now, I hope you have a great week out there. And remember, uh, above all, even in these tough times, that every day is a gift and a blessing. Remember that truth. And uh, be well, and we'll talk to you next week.